Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in today. This is the last episode of 2018, the 50th episode of Hear Her Sports podcast, and the beginning of the third year of Hear Her Sports. I'm really looking forward to another year of talking to wonderful female athletes. There are some incredible guests lined up already. I'm looking forward to another year of being inspired. Once again, this year, I'm a better person thanks to all the women in sport who have been on the show. In today's episode, biathlete Deidre Irwin says, I love putting in the work to improve myself. That direct link between work to results is a real appeal of sports, lifting more weight, running faster, having a greater understanding of the mind-body connection, and in Deidre's story, falling down less. I'm excited about today's episode because we get into some details about the sport and about being an international level athlete. Biathlon, the shooting and skiing kind of biathlon, is really popular in Europe. So much so, there are dedicated biathlon stadiums. Deidre talks about the crowds and how overwhelming that hubbub is. One reason the sport is popular is it's a nail biter. The shooting adds unpredictability so anyone can win and often the race comes down to the final targets. I find the combination of heart thumping exertion with tiny target control fascinating. It really highlights how important the mental game is in sports. Deidre has some fun stories about starting out in skiing and not being good. We also talk about the injuries and recovery, both mental and physical. How important and wonderful her new USA Biathlon teammates are, traveling, donuts, and dogs. Well, let's get started. Welcome, Deidre. Thank you for taking the time out of your training to be on the podcast. I really appreciate it. No problem. Could you start by introducing yourself and maybe talk about where you are in your season right now? Okay. Um, I'm originally from Pulaski, Wisconsin, but I've lived quite a few places since then. Uh, I'm currently training in Craftsbury, Vermont, before I head over to my first races, official races of the season over in Europe, and I will be heading out this Saturday. Oh, my goodness, right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty soon. So, And then I think my first races are next, well, the weekend after I travel. I don't know the exact date. And where is it? Did you say already? Uh, no. So I'm, uh, the first races are in Ridnown, Italy. And then the week after that will be in Obertiliac, I think is how you pronounce it. And that's in Austria. Have you been to these places before? I was in Ridnown last year for Open European Champs. That was actually my first international biathlon race. So it'll be kind of cool to go back to, to the first place I raced biathlon officially. Right. When I was racing and traveling around, people always asked me, you know, how I like these different places. Do you get to see them very much? Um, yeah. So we get to, I mean, we spend about a week there. And so we see a lot of like where we ski, but um, I guess the towns where we go so far for like my experience haven't been too big. So it's pretty easy to kind of do a single walk around. It's usually up in the mountains in a tiny village somewhere that doesn't take American Express. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so I've only been to a couple places for biathlon, but like, you know, other places I've been for skiing, um, there's quite a bit of time to go look around the cities and, and hang out outside of, you know, competition areas. And you said that, uh, these trips, at least the ones coming up are self-funded. So where are you eating and are you hanging out with teammates at all? Yeah. So, um, they cover all our logistics while we're over there and then send us a bill later. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, they kind of give us a roundabout of what it's going to be. So we, we know a little bit, but, um, but yeah, I mean, they, they put us up in hotels all together as a team and then they 
usually supply breakfast for us or the hotel does. And then lunches and dinners are at a different location sometimes. Um, but yeah, everything is pretty much covered while we're there. So we don't have to worry about it. I saw in your Instagram that you're dealing with some injuries. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, um, oh man, when was this now? I guess back in September, I had just a really awkward, weird crash in which I sustained whiplash. And, um, so that was a little traumatizing and I had to take like a week or so off and I probably came back too soon. I think that's what happened. (laughs) And I kind of hopped right back into intervals as I was feeling better. And then my, um, back spasmed. And I think it kind of all had to deal with all my nerves down my spine were just really um, hyper excited from the whiplash. And so then I had about a month of training out in Utah, where we actually were doing our World Cup trials, where I was trying to keep up trying to kind of just deal with it. And the pain just kept getting worse and worse. And I made it through trials, okay, and qualified for this trip, which was nice, but I did have to go home for about a month and do some really intense recovery, I guess. Um, so starting to get back on skis now, not feeling the fastest, but my back is minimal pain. And so I'm really excited about that, but definitely trying to make sure I'm keeping up on my yoga and stretches and PT and everything like that. So is this the worst uh, injury that you've had? Oh goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, (laughs) um, I, I ran collegiately And so I had quite a few um, injuries while I was in college from like Achilles tendonitis and shin splints and plantar fasciitis and stuff like that. And um, I don't think anything can really compare to those because they're just so nagging and consistent. And, you know, even when you can try to come back, they kind of come back to bite you at the worst time. So, um, So I've had a lot of overuse injuries throughout my athletic career in both running and skiing. So this one is probably the most consistent um, injury I've had for skiing, um, just back issues, especially once I started biathlon, because, you know, you're carrying an eight pound rifle on your back and you have to kind of twist into some weird positions to make sure you're stable for shooting. So it's a little different than just cross country skiing. So I'm, I'm always interested in athletes who get injured and sort of how they manage being injured. And a month is a pretty long time, particularly at this time of year for you, isn't it? It is a very long time. And so uh, I can't say I probably did the best looking back. I, you know, wish I would have hopped on a, you know, cycling bike a couple more times and done some intervals. But, uh, but I mean, I think it's, it's, mentally tough and it's physically tough just kind of convincing yourself to take it easy make sure you don't come back too fast because I think that's what happened to me the last time just came back too quickly and you know ended up doing more damage than good and then also just like mentally getting through the fact that you're not doing anything and everybody else that you're trying to compete against is out skiing and shooting and you know getting faster and better so you know it's a give and take you want to get healthy but uh, you definitely have to, you know, get through that own like personal battle of just knowing that you're doing the right thing and hoping that you can, you know, still keep up when you come back. I always love hearing the stories of people who've been injured early in the, the season and end up being really strong at the end because they're so rested. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so that's where um, so I've I guess I've, I've officially been back for a full week now. And definitely the first week was really tough 
But now that my muscles are not as sore anymore, I'm actually feeling a lot better and more confident. So it's, again, getting through that first little bit of your body kind of going through the shock of coming back is rough. But now I'm, I'm pretty excited for the races coming up. And I'm, I'm hoping, yeah, that rest will pay off. How do you remain positive during that downtime? Um, you know, you just, yeah, I rely on my family and my friends a lot um, just to keep me busy and keep me in a good mood. Um, watch a lot of Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, my, my family's been super supportive when I was home, just trying to like keep me busy with my nieces and nephews and, you know, keeping me in a happy place. And, you know, now that I'm back out um, training with my coaches and teammates, they're definitely, you know, supportive and they've all been through it at some point in their careers, the same thing I have. So it's, um, you know, nice to be surrounded by people who kind of know what I'm going through. And, you know, they see me struggling and they see me frustrated, but, you know, they try to keep a smile on my face and, you know, they know there's better things to come. And me too, it's just, you know, takes a little bit to get through that initial um, break. Right, right. Where do you normally train and, and, you know, like how does a normal week run? I don't know if this will be hard since you have been injured, but. Um, no, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I guess I've been professionally skiing for two years before I started biathlon. So I've only been doing biathlon for a year and a half now. So after college, I graduated from Michigan Tech in 2015. And when I was at Michigan Tech, I was a three sport collegiate athlete. I did cross country running, skiing and track. Um, and then after I graduated, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, had some plans of maybe going to grad school, but didn't get in. So then I decided to go ski, <laughs> um, out and uh, for a professional team out in Sun Valley, Idaho. So I skied for them for two years and then I got picked up. Um, I guess not picked up, I guess uh, I got invited to a talent ID camp for biathlon where they pretty much teach you how to shoot and, you know, give you the basics of biathlon and then, at the end of the camp, they either, you know, offer you, you know, a training spot or not. And uh, they offered me a spot and I was really excited for the new challenge. And so I've only been doing biathlon officially, I think, since last fall. So what was it about you or your skiing that interested the, the Federation? Um, well, I have a few friends uh, that I'd known for a few years that were on the team that also made the switch over from Nordic skiing. And so... Um, I guess our personalities were pretty similar and, you know, they thought I, I would do really well with the shooting. Um, and I never really shot before, so I was willing to give it a try. And it's something that like, you know, I, I started skiing pretty late in my career, I guess, compared to other people. And I'd, I'd heard about biathlon pretty late and I was not very good at skate skiing. <laughs> um, and skate skiing is the major thing you do with biathlon. And uh, so I never really thought about making the switch, but then after skiing for a couple years professionally, I got better at skate skiing and kind of thought, well, maybe I can try to learn how to shoot a gun now. So I came to the Talent ID camp and I'd never really shot a rifle before, so it was pretty easy for them to like show me the proper positioning and everything like that. So yeah, it kind of just was like really simple for me to kind of hop into it. And the coaches were really supportive of my switch, even the coaches I had in Sun Valley. And, you know, the teammates, I already knew them for a couple of years. So it was a pretty cool um, adventure to kind of like give it a try. I guess I was kind of at a point in my cross country career where I was ready to retire. And I was like, OK, well, I got one more year of Nordic skiing left in me, like mentally and physically. And uh, maybe I'll just do it biathlon and see what happens. 
And so I kind of, I guess, went into biathlon with this, like, whatever happens, happens kind of mentality, which I think was really good for me. And I, I just didn't really know too much about it. So I was able to kind of forgive myself a little bit more for missing, you know, many, many shots in every single race I did. <laughs> and so um, I think that kind of helped is, yeah, just kind of having that mentality of like, you know, this is just supposed to be fun and we'll see what happens with this season. And it ended up, you know, working for me and um, going really well. And I got invited to join the X team, which is a development team based in Lake Placid, New York with a U.S. biathlon. What do you like about the biathlon? And maybe in comparison to just sort of normal cross-country skiing and also maybe to running because you did so much of that too. Yeah. Um, so like running, I mean, came second nature to me. It was like something I'd always done since I was a kid. And so when I joined Nordic skiing, it was this like new cool challenge that like I didn't really know anything about. And I actually like really sucked at it when I first started and I hated it. <laughs> but like, um, I think the first time I came home from practice, my mom was like, I, th I think she was like, oh, what are you going to do tonight? And I was like, I'm going to eat and I'm going to go to bed. And she's like, why? And I'm like, I'm tired. And she had never heard those words come out of my mouth after like running practice. And so she was like, you're going to stay in skiing. This is good for you. <laughs> <laughs> and so I like stuck with skiing and, um, you know, and eventually like in college kind of started specializing a little bit more on the skiing side. And uh, yeah, I just fell in love with it more and more. It's brought me to so many cool places um, I've skied in many different places in Canada and I got to go down to Australia and I got to go over to Kazakhstan, which was wow. kind of cool, a little yeah. weird, but kind of cool. <laughs> and, uh, and so from there it was just like, I, I really enjoyed kind of the adventure of Nordic skiing. And then, like I said, when biathlon kind of made its way into my career, it was just a totally different aspect. Um, you know, having to stop and, you know, get your heart rate and your position under control to hit these targets that are just so tiny I can't imagine like you know actually hitting them and it was it was really fun and new and I guess challenging not that Nordic skiing wasn't already challenging for me because it was but it was just really fun and cool and the coaches were really amazing and I've never seen a more passionate group of people um, working with their athletes and so that was also a huge draw for me was just like the U U.S. Biathlon Association in general and their passion towards their athletes and trying to become the best in the world. They just had a, a coaching switch is that going to affect you at all? Um, no so last year I was getting coached um, by their development coach who ended up leaving along with the two head coaches. And so the coaches that they got in this spring are really great and actually um, really broke everything down um, for everyone from the, you know, our highest level Olympic athletes to me, who is brand new to the sport. And I think it was actually really good. Um, Armin is um, the women's coach and he has been amazing to work with. And I have made huge strides in my shooting and my skiing because of him. So I don't think the coaching switch was bad at all. I think it's actually really great for the team, especially both men and women's side now that it was like off an Olympic year and, and, uh, we have a lot of new faces joining the program. So you've mentioned shooting. So can you describe it? I hadn't realized how tiny those <laughs> targets are. So maybe talk about that. And also, you know, like, what are you thinking? And how are you? Uh, how are you training for that? Oh, man. So I'm still pretty new to it. Um, so take everything I say with a grain of salt, because I'm still learning myself. But the target that you see, um, I guess while we're shooting is about the size of a DVD, I would say. 
and you always see that size target. However, in prone, the target is about the size of a golf ball, racquetball, maybe between there. And so you're actually trying to hit the middle of that big target that you see when you're shooting prone. And so prone is when you're laying down on the ground and um, you shoot it 50 meters away. And so you're shooting at like about a golf si- golf ball sized hole. That's incredible. I guess to make the paddle fall down. And then um, when you're shooting standing, the target then changes to show the bigger paddle, which is about the size of a DVD that we shoot at. The breathing, oh yeah, so all the things you think out about when you come into the range. Um, <laughs> you have to look at the wind flags because the wind flags can change you know, how your bullet's going to fly, so you have to change your sight sometimes. Um, you get down into position and you want to make sure your position's really strong and stable. Yeah, you're working on your breathing because you don't really want to be inhaling or exhaling while you're doing it. So you kind of exhale and stop for that quarter of a second and then pull the trigger. And pulling the trigger is actually another thing you have to think about um, because, you know, if you pull the trigger too hard, you could move your rifle just the tiniest bit and miss the target. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that we're thinking about when we're getting into position and actually executing the shots. So yeah, breathing is something we really practice, um, trigger control, just in general, getting it in and out of position. We do a lot of uh, what we call dry firing, which is actually just like in a room and we set up a target on the wall, just like little dots. And we'll just like, just practice actually like taking the shot at the wall, but obviously we don't have any live ammunition and which is why it's called dry firing. So you're skiing along and your heart rate is racing. At what point as you're heading towards the range, are you starting to, I don't know, make any changes in your skiing or breathing or thought process? Um, It depends on the course a lot of the times. So if you have like a downhill, I guess, coming into the range, then you can, you know, kind of keep your speed up and, you know, just really focus on like taking those breaths to kind of get your breathing and your heart rate under control. But uh, sometimes there's an uphill coming into the range and, but you don't really want to slow down. So it's a little bit harder. So you have to just kind of like try to figure out how to come into the range under control so that by the time you get to your mat, you are decreasing your heart rate and your breathing is under control. And so it's, it's a lot of just, um, I guess we practice it a lot all throughout the summer And then when we get to a new venue, we'll practice what we call like range approaches. And so kind of doing like a speed into the range and see how we want to get our breath and our heart rate under control by the time we hit the mat. That part is so interesting, just being able to balance, you know, like the endurance aspect of skiing with the precision of shooting. Yeah, it's been a huge change for me coming from Nordic skiing because I guess I was kind of the person like straight off the line in Nordic skiing. I was redlining and going as hard as I could and just like, you know, first one to the finish wins kind of thing. (laughs) And in biathlon, you have to, you know, your first lap, you want to keep under controlled so you can shoot your second lap, maybe go a little bit faster, but you still need to be under control and shoot. And then, you know, once you're finally onto your last lap, that's when you just hammer and go. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely kind of finding that balance between like I need to ski fast, but I need to make sure I don't come into the range, you know, and blow up and miss all five of my targets. 
I have watched some biathlon, and it definitely seems to me that a, a priority of the sport is getting those targets. Is that is that the reality of it? You know, it's hard to tell how fast people are actually skiing. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, there's a couple people in the world who can miss targets and still win a race because their skiing is, you know, better than most of the people around them. But in general, the person to clean a race is going to be a much higher advantage to winning than, you know, somebody who misses one to two to three targets, especially in like a sprint race. Um, those ones are, you know, the shorter where you only have one prone and one standing. So you really want to clean both of those stages. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a give and take, I guess you got to find that balance between taking your time and hitting those shots and, you know, maybe taking a little bit, you know, going a little quicker, I guess. I'm still trying to find that balance. I, I'm about 50-50 right now. Sometimes I come in too hot and I just can't hit a thing. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you, what are you working on now in terms of the shooting aspect of it? Uh, right now I'm working on coming into the range with a little bit higher of a heart rate. So I've been able to do a lot of like really easy shooting and um, I've been getting a lot better at that. But after taking the month off, you know, heart rate's a little bit higher in general while I'm trying to, you know, ski faster. So trying to figure out how I can come into the range and still be under control when I have a heart rate of, you know, 140 or something. And what are you working on in the skiing? Or is that totally given at this point? No, <laughs> no. I mean, we're constantly working on technique. We have technique sessions, um, you know, where we're just trying to perfect our V1 and V2. Those are a couple of different styles in, in skating. Um, and, you know, the more efficient you become in your Nordic skiing side of it, the easier you're going to come into the range under control. I read somewhere that anything can happen. You know, like I was watching some videos and so many people that were being interviewed said, oh, like anything can happen in the race. You know, anybody can win. And it seemed like that was really different from other sports where you sort of knew going in, like who were the strong people. Do you, do you feel that way? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, I think I know what video you're talking about. Um, Susan Dunkley, she's um, probably I, I think she's our fastest biathlete in the U.S. right now. And she's been to a number of Olympics. And I think she said that you can go from getting 80th place one day to getting on the podium the next. You know, it's biathlon is so diverse in like, you know, if you can clean a race or if you're not going to clean a race and, you know, there's there's a handful of people, you know, will always be up there. They're just like really consistent. But yeah, you never know when somebody, you know, who's never made a podium is going to win a race. Mm -hmm. It's it's so different than um, just like cross country skiing where you kind of know who your top 20 are at every single race. And, you know, they're going to get that top 20 where biathlon. I think last year there was this guy who um, I think he was like a junior skier or something even. And all of a sudden just like got thrown into a World Cup race and he ended up podiuming. I can't remember what a country it was, but it was like so crazy mm -hmm. <laughs> to see that. What accounts for the, such a range? I mean, are there are there I, bits uh, I of luck it, that, that I think it just comes down to, yeah, shooting. I mean, there's there's days where you can feel like, you know, you're just going to shoot really well and then you end up not shooting very well and. You know, and then there's some days where I think um, like Lowell Bailey, it was a couple years ago where he won a world championship race where his skiing was just really consistent and really good. And um, he had cleaned all the way up to the last stage. And then that last stage, everybody is and he he started way behind 
um, a lot of the leaders. So they had already thought the podium was, you know, done. And he comes in and he, he just like cleaned his last stage and he came in and he ended up winning the entire thing, like out of nowhere. And so, I mean, it's, it really depends on the day, you know, some days you can hit everything and not feel great skiing. And so you're, you're going to end up, you know, somewhere in the middle. Um, and then there's other days where you're going to clean and you're going to feel amazing skiing and boom, you could be on the podium. Right. Do you do mental training? Um, I, I personally do a little bit of like visualization and stuff like that. Um, it's kind of always been a part of my like pre-race technique. It's carried over from running and skiing. Um, and then we, we've started doing some, I guess, mental shooting training when we're doing our dry fire during the summer where we kind of just, you know, lay back and, you know, try to visualize or like, you know, feel how like, you know, how is it going to feel when we pull the trigger and like, how is our breathing and what's the site look like? Um, there's, yeah, there's a lot of, lot of aspects to that part. I think mental training is huge for, um, athletes in general in any sport and definitely in this shooting sport because, you know, there's that whole aspect of, you know, you need to get into the range and you, everything needs to be second nature getting into position and, and just take really good shots. I think like last year, the best race I had was in Martel, Italy, and it was only my, I think it was my first IBU cup. And my coaches were all really surprised. I ended up going into the range and I cleaned my first three stages and it was just like unreal. I'd never done that before. And then I got done with the race and they're like, what happened? I was like, I have no idea. Someone else like took over my body for the shooting aspect. But it was like one of those things where it had become already so second nature for me to just get into position and just, you know, calmly take those shots in the middle of the race that like, you know, it really, really benefited me that day. And I think I got my first top 20. That's awesome. It's very cool. I think I interrupted you when you were talking about your training and, and going through what you do during the week. Can we get back to that? Yeah, yeah. So a normal week for us is, I guess, pretty similar to most other endurance athletes. Um, we do a couple of like easy distance for us as like hour and a half to two hours. Um, and we call them combos when we're shooting. And so we'll just do a lot of, you know, looping around the range and just really working on our range procedure, um, going in and shooting a lot of shots. And then a couple times a week, we'll do intervals, anything from like threshold or above. And then again, usually with shooting. So we'll come into the range with a higher heart rate um, and really practice on taking those solid shots. Um, and then usually once a week, we do like an over distance uh, which is just like a long, easy ski. Um, and then every, so we still, we always do two days. Um, we have a morning and afternoon workout and the afternoon workout usually involves like some sort of running or cycling or, um, we have these machines called ski ergs. And so we'll, we'll, we'll sit on those and just work on some, you know, kind of like easier stuff. And then obviously coupled with core and strength a couple times a week. So, um, pretty basic, I guess, endurance plan. One added aspect, I guess, that we have is the shooting aspect where we do spend um, every day, if not every other day, you know, on the range doing a lot of shooting procedures. And then also at night, which is when most of the athletes do it before they go to bed, um, we'll do a lot of dry firing. And that's just, like I said, at your house, no ammo, getting into position and like really work on um, 
trigger squeeze and breathing and bolting and all the different little aspects that maybe get ignored a little bit when we're actually on a real range. And what are you doing when there's no snow? I assumed all of that was when you had snow. Um, yeah, no, that's year round. Uh, so we do roller skiing during the summer. And so there's uh, roller ski tracks. There's a couple throughout the U.S. There's one in Lake Placid um, that has a range on it. So you're actually able to roller ski up into your point and getting into position the same as you would on snow. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. And then we also do um, running with obviously not with our rifles on our back, but we'll like pick up our rifle when we get into the range and do the same thing and get down into position. And so there's a lot of different things you can do to, you know, still get a lot of range time during the summer. So running, roller skiing. Um, I, I do a lot of mountain biking as cross training and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And are you uh, weight training? Yes. And so, yeah, we weight train year round. Oh, you um, do? Huh. Yeah. So during the summer, we'll weight train twice a week. Um, and then during the winter, we'll still weight train twice a week, but it'll usually be um, lower weights, more explosive, more powerful movements. So we're not too sore, but we're still keeping that, I guess, explosive, snappy feel going. Do you do any cool exercises? <laughs> <laughs> there are quite a, there's a quite a few that like when I'm home and doing my exercises at my like local gym in Green Bay, Wisconsin, that people are like, what are you doing? But yeah, there's a lot of, um, core workouts that look really funny that we do. One of them is called dolphins. If you want to Google that, it's like you have a, you know, those big bands that people use, you like suspend it from a pull-up bar and then you like put your feet in the band and then you're like on your elbows on the ground and you just do this. And they call it dolphins. I think they call it something else, but you like try to use your core and your lats and your body has to stay straight and you're kind of just like bouncing your feet up and down. It, it's a little insane, <laughs> but it really, it is an ab burner though. Like my core is always wrecked after doing those. Right. I did see a weight training sort of short clip of some summer training for biathletes. And there seemed to be a lot of core, which I know is necessary for skate skiing, but it seemed like maybe more. Do you guys need more core strength than, um, than cross-country skiers? Yeah, I don't think we need more per se than them, but like it is a huge benefit to have like a really stable core for shooting. Right. So that's, and that's one thing I've really noticed um, as I've gotten further along is it, it really benefits your skiing, like obviously, um, but also coming into the range and having that really, really stable midsection really helps. So, so I don't, I don't know if it's more beneficial, but like, it's definitely super important and it really helps out a lot. You've been doing sports since you were a young kid. Did you get support from your family as, as an athlete? Yeah. Um, I started running, I think I had this like intramural track meet that they threw me into in like fifth grade, like my school did. And I like beat all the boys in the mile run. It was insane. And it was like one of the, it was one of those like aha moments for me that I was like, this is really cool. I want to do this. (laughs) And so, um, so yeah, I've been running since I was in fifth grade and, uh, also, you know, did soccer and basketball and, and stuff like that, um, throughout middle school. And then it was in high school, I think when I finally, um, I guess more specialized for running 
and I was swimming during the winters and it wasn't really, I guess, like enough for me. And that's when I joined Nordic skiing. And so my parents were super supportive, um, you know, behind my running my entire, you know, youth. And then when skiing came along, they were a little like, oh, this is expensive. (laughs) I don't know. But um, they saw how much, I guess, potential my coach saw in me. And um, I really, you know, fell in love with it after my first year of being absolutely terrible. (laughs) They've been super supportive ever since uh, and, you know, throughout college. And when I told them I wanted to do it professionally, they were a little like, how, what? Like, you know, we were still so new to like the ski community that like didn't really know that was a possibility. Um, But once I kind of explained it to them and, you know, I had this like, you know, plan, a very minimal plan, but like I had a plan (laughs) and I was like, I'll try it for a few years and see what happens. And, you know, ever since then, it's um, it's pretty incredible, you know, how much they've put up with for me. (laughs) So, um, yeah, my parents have been super duper amazing about me pursuing, you know, trying to become an Olympian. Nice. You've mentioned a couple times not being very good when you first started. You know, like, why did you continue? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I honestly have no idea. (laughs) Were you really that bad? I was really bad. It was, well, the thing is, is like my learning curve, I think, ended up being pretty good. But my mom, she loves telling this story. Um, She's like, my first year, um, I would get done with the race and every time she'd be like, okay, how did this one go? And I'd be like, well, I only fell eight times. (laughs) And then like the next race came and, you know, she's like, okay, how did today go? And I'm like, well, I fell six times. And I was like, okay. And then like the next race came and I'd be like, I only fell four times, you know? And I got through that first year and, and the next year I actually did, you know, some actual summer training. That was the first time I'd have been exposed to a program that actually trained during the summer. Cause otherwise I kind of just ran on my own. And so um, I worked with the program and they trained me during the summer and I noticed huge gains in my skiing because they got me on roller skis. And then the next year I came back and I like didn't fall in any of my races and I ended up placing at state only in my second year. And so to the point where like a lot of people were like, who is this Deidre Irwin girl? Like, where did she come from? <laughs> and so, um, but yeah, I think it was just, you know, I was able to look at the positives of every race because my parents, you know, weren't like looking for me to win anything like, you know, normally in running. And so it was more just like, how many times did you fall? (laughs) (laughs) And each time it kept getting less and less. And it was just like a very, you know, positive experience for me compared to like running where running was very intense for me when I was growing up, just kind of like I was I'm really competitive. (laughs) You know, I think skiing is really interesting because, you know, on the surface, it appears like it's like running and it's just so not the same. Yeah. And, you know, the whole part of having to balance on one foot versus the other and being, you know, willing to totally shift your weight over is can be scary. And is something you have to learn how to do. Yeah, it took me a really long time. Like even even in my like, you know, high school years where I was getting better, and I was able to keep up with people, my technique was still terrible. I just had like an engine. (laughs) But I think I remember one of my skis, uh, one of my coaches was like, all right, today's a classic race. And I was like, okay, like, what do I do? He's like, just put a ton of kick wax on my skis. It's like, just go for a run. <laughs> and my technique was so terrible because I was like running on the trail, like trying to figure this out. And it was it was just hilarious um, looking back at like some of the pictures. I think I even wore like hobo mittens, you know, those like 
mittens that like fold over right like and have your <laughs> fingers showing it was like so yeah oh man should dig up some of those pictures sometime <laughs> <laughs> so what makes you good now um I think I just I finally learned to have fun while I'm you know like just out here I I love training I think that's an aspect a lot of I mean most athletes have but like some of them, some of them don't. I just, I love being out here and training and racing is probably one of my least favorite things, but like, <laughs> um, I just love putting in all the effort and I've never really been like the fastest runner or skier or anything like that. But, um, I, I love putting in the work to improve myself. Yeah. I asked that question quite a bit is, you know, whether you like training or competing better and mm-hmm. I gather you're a trainer. <laughs> I, yeah, I love training. Um, it's, it's the, the cool part, I guess, of the sport is, I, I mean, except for when it's raining, I don't really love going out in, in the rain, but like, you know, on like today, it was just like a beautiful day in Craftsbury. The sun was out and the trails were just perfect, a little bit of snow. And it's just really enjoyable, like to be able to like, this is my job. I'm able to like go outside and, you know, just train and live life and have fun. How do you feel about competition? Oh, man. I'm like the weird goofy person on the start line because I'm like so overly nervous (laughs) that I'm just trying to like calm myself down by like dancing and singing. (laughs) So, I mean, I I do love racing. Like you can't can't not love it, but it it is one of my least favorite parts, I guess, because I'm just so competitive and I want to do so well. And on days that I'm able to do well, it's like awesome. And on days I'm not able to do well, it's, you know, kind of that mental battle. But I think I've gotten a lot better at like kind of getting over those bad days and, you know, pushing through to the next race. What's it like, you know, sort of being on the, you know, sort of the world level circuit, traveling with a bunch of other really strong women that you see on a regular basis and sort of competing to be the best in the world? Oh, it's amazing. It's so cool. Like you would have asked me however many years ago, if I ever thought I'd get to this point, I would have been like, ha no. <laughs> But like, it's, it's been such a really amazing experience for me to be able to like, I guess, train with them and, and be around them and see um, their positivity. And just like, you know, know that they're going through the same things that I'm going through. I'm, I'm really excited to, to get over to Europe and see everyone again. It sounds like biathlon is really popular in Europe and pretty much everywhere but the United States. How do you deal with all the crowds and the noise and stuff, you know, when you're coming into the stadiums? Oh, man. Um, well, so I've only done a few races over in Europe, I guess, last year when I made the, you know, a couple of weekends that I raced there. And I remember my first, like, time going into, like, a real biathlon stadium. I like that, the real biathlon stadium. A real, yeah, it was insane. I was... I was just so overwhelmed and like, and it wasn't even on a race day. It was like a training day and there was just so many people around and like so many coaches and like, you know, they even had announcers for a training day. It was insane. And I was just like shaking. Like I was just so like overly excited and overwhelmed. And, you know, my coach was like, why are like, why are your shots? Like, you know, they just don't seem like they're grouping very well. And I just like went up to him and I showed him my hand and I'm just like, I'm shaking. And he was like, go ski it off try to calm down. And so it took me a few days to kind of like get through that, like really overwhelming, um, environment for me. Cause I mean, yeah, biathlon is 
quite a bit smaller in the U.S. <laughs> and even like Nordic skiing, I mean, not a ton of people, you know, watch it. And like, you know, there's not stadiums of people watching you shoot, you know. And so, yeah, it was a little overwhelming. But after you get through that, um, like I said, I think it was only like a week later I raced in Martel. And, you know, you kind of get to this state where you get in the range and you don't even hear anybody else. Like it's just you know, you, your gun and the targets. And it's pretty insane being able to get into that. I guess people call it like getting into the zone. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask you if you were good at that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it takes, it takes a little bit of practice and it definitely doesn't happen to me all the time, but like when it does, it's, it's really cool to be able to just have that, I guess, hyper focus when you need it. Yeah. You mentioned earlier the Olympics. So are those, is that on your list? Yeah, uh, definitely my goal is to make the 2022 in Beijing. So Very, very great. Yeah, I went to trials last year, and obviously it was my first year um, in biathlon, so I wasn't expecting too much. But that was like a really cool experience, and just to see all my, you know, new teammates and friends go through that and be able to go to the Olympics. And, you know, even though I wasn't there, being able to kind of share that, you know, experience with them was really cool. So what are what are the steps between now and then? Uh, I guess like right now I'm on the X team, which is like a developmental team. Uh, so in the next year or so, I'd really hope to make like the A or B team, um, which is, I guess, more of the actual World Cup team that goes over and races on the World Cup. Um, so right now I'm racing on the IBU Cup, which is, I guess, the tier below uh, the World Cup races. And so, yeah, I guess like just making those, you know, small steps to improve my shooting, I guess, more, get more consistent. And then always, you know, always trying to improve the skiing. Mm-hmm. So, What are you looking forward to most this season? Oh, man, all of it. It's just, the sport is so cool. Like, I'm always surprised um, week in and week out, just like what I'm learning and what I'm experiencing. So um, I'm really excited to see a couple new places when I'm traveling. And yeah, and I'll, also there's a World Cup coming to the U.S., which is huge um and really exciting too so uh there's one relay spot on the women's team that you know will be open and it would be really cool to try and make that spot but obviously i got some really awesome teammates to compete against (laughs) um but yeah it's actually it's it's going to be super exciting we're having there's a race in canmore and then there's a race in soldier hollow utah and so it'll be really cool to have you know the entire world cup circuit all the different countries coming over to North America for a couple weeks to race. Yeah, yeah. And how long does your season go? March. March. I think. Yeah. I don't know specific dates, but um, usually mid-March, I think, is when the last World Cup is. And then the end of March, we usually try to have a nationals race, a U.S. nationals race, uh, where everybody gets to come home from wherever they were and, you know, do a final racing of the season. Are you good at taking time off after that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I am. I, I like to go home and uh, see my family and, you know, just kind of veg out and, you know, catch up on some things. Um, last year, let's see, actually, for the fir- for the past two years, I've actually been focusing on some um, health issues that I had. And so I've been able to, like, really work on my recovery then because it's required. But yeah, I guess I'll, I'll elaborate on those. I got last year, I got a sinoseptoplasty because I have a DV had a deviated septum and the year before that I actually got a heart surgery ablation because I was dealing with a SVT if you know what that is I don't 
It's called supraventricular tachycardia. It's weirdly common in endurance athletes, but I think it's like a genetic thing. Mm-hmm. Ever since I was a kid, I would get these um, racing heart arrhythmia palpitations um, where my heart rate would get, you know, all the way up to like 230 beats and it would cause me to faint if I couldn't get it under control. Oh, you're kidding. Wow. Yeah. And so I I'd put it off pretty much my entire high school and college career. And I finally last year or two years ago, I guess, was like, if I want to continue doing what I'm doing, I need to like figure this out. And I, you know, researched a really good surgeon and he was able to fix me up pretty simply. Actually, I'm kind of surprised at how easy everything was. Um, so yeah, but that was definitely something I had to, you know, take some time off to recover for. Yeah. I love how you just said, I, I want to keep going, <laughs> even if it requires <laughs> surgery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was an interesting decision to make. And I don't know why I put it off for so long. But, um, but yeah, I'm really, I'm really happy I did it. It's been amazing not to have to deal with, you know, trying to race and make sure I'm not gonna go into a a palpitation or arrhythmia. Right, right. Um, most endurance athletes, if not all endurance athletes, have to think about food all the time because <laughs> caloric needs are so high. So what do you focus on? Eating. <laughs> <laughs> Constantly. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I don't really follow any specific diets. I, I, I tried in the past and it just really like stressed me out and made me like you know, pretty unhappy. So now it's like, you know, just eat what's in front of me, eat as many times as I want. Recently, it's been donuts for me. <laughs> you really are thinking about it. I love donuts so much. Um, potato chips. Yeah, I mean, I'm a snacker for sure. Um, burgers and pizza. I Yeah, I'm not a really good person to ask about a healthy diet, but like I do like to eat food. <laughs> Do you think at all about protein or carbs or anything? Definitely. I mean, yeah, I, I make sure I, I eat protein pretty much at every single meal. Anemia is a huge thing that a lot of endurance athletes, especially ones that are working out three to four hours a day, have to deal with. Um, so uh, I do. I take supplements. I take like an iron supplement, and I also try to make sure that I'm eating, you know, a lot of red meat um, and stuff like that. And then as for carbs, um, I pretty much catch up on my donut intake pretty easily. <laughs> but otherwise, you know, I, I, you know, we all love pasta a ton. Um, I think the biggest thing for us as um, winter athletes is actually the, the other vitamins, um, vitamin D, mm. vitamin D, stuff like that. We don't see the sun a ton. And when we do, we're usually covered up. So we don't get that natural supplement in. Uh, so we try to focus on eating a lot of um, vegetables. And that's something I've really tried to push for myself in the past couple of years is making sure I'm eating all the right vegetables and, you know, adding enough greens and reds and oranges to my diet and all the different colors. <laughs> what about while you're training? Are you eating anything or drinking, you know, any Gatorade type stuff? Uh, yeah. So during training, if it's a little shorter, I mostly just make sure I'm focusing on drinking water, but like the longer ones I'll bring, you know, bars with me that I'll either make or buy. I'm an ambassador for scratch labs, if you've heard of them. And so I love their products. They're some of the first products I've ever been able to use that doesn't kind of give me that like gut rot sugary feeling after. Yes. You know, I eat their bars they started making bars. Now they have a recovery drink, which is like, you know, just a really nice, 
carb drink. It's not like a, you know, high in protein. I think it just says carbs and probiotics, which is like really nice for my stomach. Um, and then they also have their, you know, sports and hyperhydration and stuff like that. And so, yeah, those products, I, I definitely try to use them, you know, depending on what type of workout I'm doing. You said you made your own bars? Yeah, sometimes, um, you know, oat, oatmeal bars, I guess, is kind of like the bars that I make. Um, I have a pretty sensitive stomach when it comes to, like, training. And so, like, in the morning, I have to eat pretty basic foods. Um, I can't really eat, like, peanut butter or chocolate or anything like that before workouts because, like, during workouts, it kind of upsets my stomach. And so, yeah, so I, I usually make some, like, pretty simple, like, kind of oatmeal bars or for after I'll make something that maybe has, like, chocolate in it. <laughs> Do you have, you know, like on race day, you said that your stomach is sort of sensitive. Do you have trouble on race day? Yeah. And yeah, it's, you know, you have to wake up usually a lot earlier than you're used to because you want to like prepare everything and you just, you have the nerves going. So I, in general, have a hard time eating before races. And so, you know, the more things I can kind of like add to my diet in the morning, like at least makes it more interesting for me to eat and hopefully calms my nerves a little bit. So I'll usually just eat like plain oatmeal with like, you know, maybe some honey um, and yogurt and then like try to like scramble some eggs to make sure I'm getting some protein and, you know, toast or a bagel or something like that. But that's when I'm, when I'm home, I can make that. Sometimes when we're traveling, it's really hard to make what you're used to because you are just served what they serve you at the hotel last year when I was in Italy, I kind of had one of those like moments where I was like, oh my gosh, am I going to be able to eat enough before I like go race? And cause they kind of have like a little bit different menu than I'm used to, but it actually ended up working out pretty well. You know, they have a lot of pastries and stuff like that. And, um, they're sort of like donuts. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> usually don't eat those before a race, but maybe I'll start giving it a try. <laughs> We're wrapping things up, but I wanted to ask you about your dog and dog walking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so my parents um, have my dog, I guess. Her name's Pico. She's amazing. She's a Catahoula leopard dog mixed with something. But yeah, she is so fun to go running with. Um, and then when I lived in Idaho, I did a lot of dog walking and dog sitting. And I just, I love, I love dogs so much. If I could own one right now, I would. And it would just travel everywhere with me. But obviously that's... <laughs> <laughs> that would be a little something rough, <laughs> but yeah, every chance I get to like dog sit or dog walk or anything, it's just like a, it's a, one of those, I guess, like I'm trying to think of the word is calming things for me. I guess just like dogs are so happy and whenever you're in a bad mood and you just go by a dog, it makes you happy. <laughs> I can't so, argue with you. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sometimes gets out of hand with me. Like if I'm out of race or something, I see a dog, I'll like sprint to it. Probably not the best thing to do, but, <laughs> but usually people are pretty, pretty chill about letting, um, letting us all pet the dogs and everything. And a lot of my teammates are the same way where if we could have like a dog that just travels with us and, you know, over to Europe, it would make us so happy. Maybe we can make that possible in the future. Yeah. You need a mascot dog. <laughs> exactly. We need a mascot. Yeah. That'd be legit. <laughs> You know, I didn't ask you about about mentors or people that are important to you. Um, man, I guess, you know, just my my parents, again, they're just super amazing and supportive and I would not be here without them. Um, my brothers are pretty cool, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then my teammates. I mean, like I said, 
you know, switching from Nordic skiing to biathlon was, you know, one of the easiest things I think I've ever done. And, you know, the community surrounding biathlon is just so, so supportive, um, including, you know, people I'm actually competing against and racing against. They're just so amazing. Um, they're so respectful and, you know, they're just trying to help you better yourself. And, you know, I hope to get to that point where I can, you know, mentor other athletes coming up through the program too. And so, yeah, so it's just been so cool. I mean, the biathlon community in the U S is so small, but they are like some of the coolest, most amazing people I've ever met. I love that. You've mentioned that a couple of times, how great your teammates are. I think that's awesome. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was one of the definitely, um, defining factors for me joining the team because I went to the talent ID camp and wasn't really sure how they'd, you know, feel about, you know, me coming over from Nordic skiing, but like right away they were just like, we're super excited. This is the most women we've ever had like training together. And, you know, if you want to do this, like we're, we're going to help you. We're going to like, you know, work with you. And, you know, it was, it was very nice to kind of hear that from, you know, people who eventually I, I was hoping to compete against. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. And thank you, Deirdre, so much for being on the podcast and good luck this season. I really am going to enjoy watching you. Thank you. Um, I really loved being on my first podcast. Excellent. It was a treat to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks to this week's guest by athlete Deidre Irwin for joining me just before starting this season's racing in Europe. You can follow her on Instagram. That link is in the episode notes at hearhersports.com. I have a really big goal for 2019, increase listeners a hundredfold, and I need your help. Pick a favorite episode and tell two friends about it. The new year is typically a time when we think about getting fit and healthy anyway. My guests can motivate that work, so spread the word. Thank you for listening, and Happy New Year. Our theme music is by the band Goldmines, our logo by Agnes Studio. I'll be back in two weeks. Bye-bye. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.